Again, ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages, welcome, welcome, welcome to the circus that is Philadelphia Phillies baseball and the podcast, the only podcast, the only Phillies podcast in the entire world where we we talk about these things. It's the only one. There are no other Phillies podcasts. <laughs> um, not even the one uh, that's part of the site run by uh, my, my guest today. So magically, it, it's disappeared. This is the only podcast left. So we're good. We're, we're glad to have him on. Uh, no, shout out John Solness. Uh Ethan Witty, blog lord of thegoodfight.com, where I spent, uh, what was it? I, I guess about four seasons working with you over at TGP, four or five seasons. It was something like that, yeah. Something like that. Uh, runs a really great site. Um, just a great guy to write for. Really has a nice, uh, to, to get real formal with it, has a really nice product. <laughs> Wow, I've never been never been told it's a product. Yeah, well, you know, in, in a way, in a way, everything we produce and put out there is some kind of product, isn't it? When you really think about it, are we all not just baseball capitalists? Producers and consumers. There it is. Let's just get down to brass tacks. We're all producers or consumers, one of the two. Anyway, proper introduction. Ethan Woody, welcome to Phillies Therapy. Thanks for joining. Well, thanks for having me on, Paul. I appreciate it. I'm sorry I'm not Matt Gill. I'm sorry, you know, I'm not up to that caliber, but Hopefully I won't embarrass myself and the show. Are you kidding me? About half the audience is glad you're not Matt Gelb, I bet. <laughs> Shout out Matt Gelb. <laughs> um, no, thanks for joining. I'm just, I'm ragging on everybody today. I hope I hope nobody takes this the wrong way. I, I'm just having fun with it. Um, the Phillies just completed a three-game series in Cincinnati, a six-game roadie overall. They won the series against Cincinnati. They obviously lost the series against the Mets over the weekend. And now they head back home for a little home stand where they play the Mets again and the Reds again, and then finish it off with a three gamer against the Pirates before another strangely timed West Coast road trip here at the end of the summer. I can't remember the last time they did one of these. Maybe my memory is just bad these days. But the Phillies are 65 and 52. Even with the Padres win today, they are still in playoff position, still looking pretty good, although I would not call it comfortable. Uh, Ethan, this Red Series was a, a bit of feast or famine. Um, team started out with a 4-3 win on Monday, then absolutely blew the doors off the place on Tuesday with a bunch of home runs, Reese Hoskins hitting two of those, and then could do absolutely nothing today against Nick Lodolo, who is a pretty promising pitcher, even if he is a rookie. And they got shut out and walked off in the bottom of the ninth, one to nothing. So it's a win, two out of three, still in playoff position, going ahead to face the Mets. Uh, you never like ending a series on a down note, but you have to feel pretty good about the way things have gone still lately, right? I was totally fine with it, especially because today was a 12:35 game. It's early. They're probably still waiting on news from Marsh. They probably didn't know what was going on. Hmm. They have, a, you know, a lefty on the mound. And while Marsh is a lefty, they probably didn't want Mayton and Hall in the lineup. So now your lineup is short again. Mm-hmm. And I think they were just kind of like, let's just go. Whatever happens, happens. You know, Suarez was great again. Was. Yep. Uh, kept him. Bullpen was fine. You know, those little things that happened to Sir Anthony in the ninth, they're going to happen. You know, nobody's perfect as much as we like to think that he is. I was totally fine with the game. 
Uh, I was very happy with last night with the barrage that they just put on the Reds. That was just a shellacking. For real. And it was nice that we saw some more of the power. Um, but, you know, the Mets series was tough. It, you know, you don't you don't really want to lose to the Mets. But that series, you, know, you faced their three best. You stared down Scherzer. You did fine against DeGrom. DeGrom was just unhittable that night. He was, he was. Un- just unhittable. Which and happens with that guy. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing, time. there's nothing to be ashamed about what right. they did against him because they had their, their let's call him what he is, let's call him their ace on the hill as well. And they were right there with him the entire time. You know, the Wheeler game on Sunday happens. It's not, it's going to happen from time to time. He's not DeGrom, so he's not going to be almost automatic. And... I'm. I was pretty satisfied with the road trip. You know, three and three was great. I think that was kind of the minimum they had to do. Go three and three, mm-hmm. and they did it. However, it happens. However, it happens. It happens. Right. But you come home. Let's see what they got against the Mets again, because now it's not just three other pitchers. Three, their three best. Now they got to throw two of their quote unquote not best against them, and who knows what from there. Well, and and I think that brings up an interesting question on the perspective of how they've been playing lately. You know, last week, Matt and I were talking about, okay, what is this team really? Is it, uh, to to use the talk radio term, is, is it fraudulent of them to rack up all these wins and playing all these bad teams? And of course, the, the pretty obvious critically thought answer is no, because you need to bank these wins. And also, just because they're beating the crap out of bad teams doesn't mean they're, you know, some kind of mirage. This is a good baseball team. I, I think... The question that comes to mind then is now that they've come off a series win against Cincinnati, there's something like, I want to say like seven, three and two in their last 12 series. Like they, they've really been, they've really been on a roll. It's really been great. Does this Met series matter? Because the Phillies are pretty far out of the division race. They are mathematically still in it. They could in some conceivable way, conceivable doing a lot of work there, come all the way back and take the division. I guess. Probably not. These are the last games the Phillies are going to play against the Mets, so everything that happens in order to make that happen would have to fall on other teams taking care of business and beating the Mets. So in the grand scheme of things, this series doesn't seem like it would matter that much, but that's really not the right way to think about it, is it? No, I don't. You don't want to just punt a series, you know, especially when series like the Mets and I don't believe they play the Dodgers again, but series against, you know, the two best teams in the national league, you don't want to use them to punt away and say, you know, whatever we do, we do, whatever we don't, we don't, you want to use them as a measuring stick. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the best way to look at a series against the Mets as a measuring stick. How are you going to stack up against the best of the best? And I think over the weekend, it showed that they can measure up against the best of the best. Do they need some breaks to happen? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. They they need uh, to have Bryson Stott be the first player to get to get on base four times against Scherzer, right. whatever the, whatever that stat was. Right, right. Um, they need Degrom to have throw a few bad pitches. Um, they need him to be on a pitch count and to capitalize on that pitch count. Mm-hmm. Um, they the the series is more for me psychological than anything um wins would be great you know nobody fans don't want to lose to the mets they don't want to have the entire mets 
fan base come down, take all the seats and overtake <laughs> the stadium. Right. But at the same time, you know, like you said, the division, I'm kind of over the division. Would it be great to make a push? Obviously. I mean, it would be historic at this point because you would be seeing not only the Phillies rise up, but you'd be seeing not just the Mets collapse. You'd be seeing the Braves collapse if you're going to have the Phillies in the divisional conversation. That's a big deal. And we saw where that momentum could take them in 2008. You know, people forget that the 2008 team was behind at one point and they needed to catch up. And once they did, it was all systems go. Would it be great to see that? Obviously it would be wonderful, but I think they just need to go against the Mets and show, you know, we belong on the same field. If you go into the social media sphere, whatever you want to call it, and people give up after a bad inning and, you know, oh, we, we, we can't beat the Mets. We can't do this. We can't do that. I mean, it's one game and the Mets are, the, whether we like to admit it to ourselves or not, the Mets are really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's absolutely right. And, and I think measuring six are still important, right? And, and wins are wins. Sure. Even if even if the Phillies aren't going to play a lot more games against the Mets, they do have seven more against Atlanta, who, like you mentioned, they are also trailing. They have to leapfrog two teams for this, yeah. this fantasy occurrence to happen. Um, but wins are wins. And I mean, this is a team that is, you know, maybe not battling for a division title, but is absolutely battling for one of these playoff spots. They are not comfortably seated in wildcard position right now they have the luxury i guess you could call it of um now after today's games we're recording while the the uh brewers dodgers game is is very early on um so the phillies sit a half game up on the padres who won today while the phillies lost and are two square games up on milwaukee pending to um pending wednesday night's game those those whole standings really mess me up with the plus half game they did really get me all messed up yeah 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 you got to do a little bit of mental math going on there but they're in playoff position right now but not at all comfortably and they don't play either the Padres or the brewers again later this year so there's a lot of a, a lot that goes into this race that's indirect and so wherever you can pick up these wins you just have to pick up these wins well and the thing that i find fascinating is everyone talks about how the Phillies are beating up on bad teams and how, well, you know, you're only winning games about against bad teams like the Nationals and you know the Reds. Mm-hmm. Haven't the Mets had to do the same thing? Haven't the Braves had to do the same thing? Sure. And they went out and did that. So I don't understand why it's okay for Mets and Braves to beat bad teams, but when the Phillies do it, it's kind of hands up, like, that's just not allowed. We can't, we, that's not the same thing as beating a good team. I just, I don't get that. You beat the teams you're supposed to beat. How many years have we watched the Phillies collapse against bad teams? It was last year when the schedule got easy and then they come in and look terrible against the Orioles of all teams. Oh Um, gosh. Yeah. I, I just, I, they're beating who they're supposed to beat. They're winning series. You can't, you, you win series you're playing 667 ball, that's going to get you in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's precisely right. And not only that, you know, you look at the last two series that they played against the Braves, they went three and two. I mean, that's a toss-up, but that's a series win. Uh, yes, they have, had, they have had the luxury of playing some very bad teams. But also, and I think Matt brought this up last week, this is not a team that has um, really thrived 
<laughs> when presented with bad teams later in the year, and, and you were just talking about this with Baltimore, obviously a lot of minds go to, to Miami. Thankfully, the yeah. play Miami for the last time in early September, so they won't have to, yeah. well, mid-September, I guess I should say, they don't really have to worry about them too much down the home stretch. Regardless of what the past demons are, whatever the bugaboos, whatever the the afflictions that this team has had with whoever they've been playing down the mm-hmm. stretch when they've <laughs> collapsed like yeah. three of the last four years really badly. Um, they just need to shake them off and reinvent their reputation. We need Aaron Nola to pitch well in September. We need the offense to get back to full strength and look like it's in good shape heading into what we hope is a playoff run. We need to hopefully see a team that takes care of business before the very end of the season, where hopefully they can save one or both of Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler for that playoff series. And they don't have to pitch them against Houston in the first week in October. There's a lot to do. And a lot of it comes down to winning these games, regardless of whether the team that the Phillies are playing is either directly in front of them in the playoff race or directly behind them. It doesn't matter. They just have to keep winning and they have to keep playing well. Yeah, because they only get so many shots at these teams and mm-hmm. at, at playing teams of, you know, the lower end of the National League spectrum, the Pirates, the Reds, because Milwaukee's going to get a shot to play those same teams. St. Louis is going to get a shot to play those same teams because they're in the same division. Right. And if the Phillies can't take care of business against them and then those other two teams do, now you're in a really precarious position later on where we really don't want that series in Houston to be important. That's kind of the one that I don't, I I would really like to have something wrapped up by the time they get on that plane to go down there that way. Even the Astros as well, you know, you don't want to have to go into a game needing to win and have to face Justin Verlander. Mm -hmm. Um, That would just not be the best thing in the world to do. So you have, they have to take care of these teams in front of them. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And speaking of rest and getting guys a little bit of time uh, to recuperate heading into the playoffs, we hope, the injuries are starting to pile up a little bit. We have Corey Knable hitting the IL. We have Brandon Marsh hitting the IL and thankfully avoiding more significant time. It see all indications are Zach Eflin is probably not going to return this season. Um, Harper is still making his way back. There are... I won't say quite significant injury concerns, I guess, beyond Harper. Uh, But the guys are starting to show a little bit of wear and tear, and there may not be the most depth behind them. Now, that's been a problem in years past, uh, but it's been more crippling than I think it would would probably be this year. The team seems well positioned to to fill in with guys, whether it's experimenting with Nick Maton in left and center field or what have you. Edmundo Sosa seems up to the task of flying around the infield wherever you need him to play if anything comes up. Ethan, are the Phillies well positioned to to absorb the impact of injuries, at least more well positioned than in years past? Or do we just need to hope that more guys don't hit the IL as we get into September here in a couple of weeks? I I wrote at the trade deadline for the good fight that it while the additions that they made of Marsh defensively was an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robertson was an upgrade in the bullpen. 
and Syndergaard was a slight upgrade, although the later latest Syndergaard has been really good. Yeah, it was. They just made the team so much deeper, and I think the the key thing to note with all the injuries happening is they're happening at kind of the right time when they mm. can roll out a lineup against the Reds. You know, they can roll out a depleted lineup against the Reds. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Schwarber comes back this weekend and can DH for all four games against the Mets. Then you've got the Reds and the Pirates. Granted, they're major league teams. I understand that. But again, we're not talking about the best of the best. If you're going to have these guys, quote unquote, hurt, you're getting hurt, now's probably the best time to give them three, four days off. There's no problem with doing that because if you're going to lose Schwarber for three games, you'd rather lose him against the Reds than you would against the Mets. Because if you go, you lose Schwarber against the Mets, that's a humongous deal against mm-hmm. that pitching staff. Whereas they survived against, I don't even know the pit, Lod, I don't Nick even know. Lodolo? Yeah. yeah. Lodolo and Zoik and whoever started on Monday. <laughs> TJ Zoik. This is what I mean. Like, it's okay. Not, you know, it's not never okay when a guy gets hurt. Sure. But it's okay if you're going to have him sit against those games and get fully ready for the next few. He obviously wasn't that hurt if they felt comfortable pitching pinch hitting him twice but you know you don't want to risk anything in a game that you should theoretically win and schwarber is an interesting case too because if if he is ready to come back for the start of the met series which would be great uh we got to think about how the lineup would then look indications are that schwarber likes hitting leadoff and he'll probably be reinserted right back up there Bryson Stott had a really nice cameo as a leadoff hitter this mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Um, think about it for a second. What does your ideal lineup construction look like pre-Harper return, but post-Schwarber return? What does the top of this order, at least, look like to you that you think would be the best, uh, the best configuration to throw out there uh, for the Mets series? Ooh, uh, I think your key guy there is... I think your key guy there is is actually Hoskins. Is uh, where do you want to put Hoskins at? Okay. Because if you want to go Schwarber one, if he's comfortable there, my inclination would be to leave him there. If that's mm-hmm. where he likes hitting, let's leave him there. It, it's worked pretty well. But if you could slide Stott in at number two, and then kind of push everyone down, even if you wanted to go Hoskins four. Real Muto five, Castellano six, Bohm mm. three. I forgot about him. That's not a bad lineup, but then you've got late in the game two lefties back to back. And I don't know how Thompson likes to play those kind of matchups. Does he prefer left, right, left, right? Does he like to? Does he really care where they where they end up in the order? But I think Hoskins is the key guy because he's been really good batting second. Sure. Um, I know he's kind of the he's kind of the poster boy for frustration for the fan base because when he as we all know when he's hot he's hot when he's cold he's cold sure and it gets frustrating but he's also probably one of their better hitters on the team um where do you i i it's so hard it's so, <laughs> but it's, it's a good so problem hard. to have right like the we're not talking about the arrangement of Cesar Hernandez, Freddie Galvis, and Michael oh, Franco. Like God, God bless those guys. We're not we're not <laughs> talking about them. We're talking about much better hitters, or at least much more promising hitters. And I think the the positive thing for me 
that I've really latched onto, especially with Stott, um, isn't just the low strikeouts, which, which he's been great at lately. He's been making contact with the ball, especially in the zone. That's what you want to see. He's been doing really well against left-handed pitching. Now, that might just be a small sample. I don't really know. It's entirely possible that, you know, whatever he's doing to to stay in against lefties and hang in there, he's he's got an OPS somewhere around, I think it's around like 850 or something like that. It's, it's high over the last whatever games. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And that gives you a little bit of faith that, you know, maybe stacking those lefties is something you could get away with. I, I don't really know how comfortable I am with it either, but I think that points more toward the future for Stott, right? It's a little bit yeah, less about this week and more about like his potential future as a leadoff guy or two hole guy. Yeah. If you want to go really galaxy brain and think about oh, it. Oh, I love that, galaxy brain. <laughs> if you want to go really galaxy brain, then yeah. you leave Schwarber lead off uh-huh. and you put Stott nine. Now you've got somebody who can Ooh. get on base in front of him later on the game. Mm. The only problem with that is, one of your hottest hitters is now seeing the fewest number of at-bats in a game. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. We're talking galaxy brain. Yeah. That's an option. One, you know, one yeah. of the old, you know, one of the old tenets of Sabre metrics is, you know, your leadoff hitter needs to be a guy that gets on base. Uh-huh. But lately it's been, you want a power guy up there as well, which Schwerber does both. I don't really care about batting average, but. Sure. Um, if you, if you want a power guy at the top, you might want to consider having somebody who can get on base in front of him. And that's where the whole galaxy brain stot batting ninth comes in. But again, over the past month, he's been one of your best hitters. You want him up a lot. That that's quite galactic. I do, I do like it. I, I like the concept behind it. Um, I don't think it's something they would go for just oh, realistically, no. but like, and, and you know that um, I, do, I, I like the creativity though. I, I think speaking of, well, I guess Stott isn't really a prospect anymore. He's burned his rookie eligibility. But in thinking about the system that the Phillies are cultivating with the the potential reinforcements, I, I'm thinking back to what we were just talking about with injuries. One person I neglected to mention in, in the midst of that is Simone Muziati, who we found out sort of casually today on Wednesday that he will miss the rest of the, the season with a leg injury. Yeah, where did that come from? Earlier in the week, I <laughs> You got me. There, there's a bit of a tendency lately uh, for minor league injury news to sort of surprise everybody. We, we saw that with Damon Jones a few weeks back. We saw that with James MacArthur a few weeks or, or a month or so back. And now we're seeing it with Muziati. Like it's just kind of like sneaking up on you. It's not really pleasant. Anyway, that's not entirely the point. <laughs> beyond, beyond what, what is the point anyway? Beyond AAA though, there's a lot of focus on guys who might not necessarily help this year in the pennant chase. Although there is one guy in the mix <clears throat> who might. Mm-hmm. The Phillies uh, are I, turning into a bit of a pitching factory, huh? Like, isn't and, it wonderful? You know, it is it, wonderful. It is nice to see. MLB.com released their prospect list, their top hundred prospect list uh, earlier today, Wednesday. It was a busy day this Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, Andrew Painter, everybody's favorite new prospect, is number twenty-five, I believe. And Mick Abel is, I do not have the number in front of me. He's somewhere near the top half, right around in the 50s. I, I, I would actually probably need to look this up. Just I know, I'm, I'm bringing right it up. Right, I'm bringing it up as we are. Thank you. I will, I will vamp for you. So these two, <laughs> these two arms are, are two of the most highly regarded arms in the whole system. But one, I think people might be forgetting about, or at least in this particular list case, they'd be forgetting about, is Griff McGarry, who was drafted as a college arm, who shows about as much promise 
maybe quite not quite as much promise as Andrew Painter because he's taken another leap. Maybe about as much promise as McAbel these days, who is a little bit older, a little more seasoned, a little more built up, who very well could, in the right circumstances, be a bullpen contributor late this year. But moving beyond that, he is in the mix for the 2023 rotation. That would be interesting. Ethan, as you, I hope, have, have finished pulling up this list and, and can correct me, as, as you finished that, among the three top arms, the the AMP arms or the MAP arms or the, the, the PAM arms, I, I can't figure out which acronym is the best for them. <laughs> Abel, Painter, and McGarry. How many of those three are going to make appearances for the Phillies next April? Well, you know, number 25 prospect, Andrew Painter, and okay. obviously number 57 prospect, Mick Abel, are in okay. for next Thank year. Thank you. I was. Uh, I was and by the way, just side note, number 67, Logan O'Hoppy, which, whoa. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I think all three of them, and I think Dombrowski's on record as saying, if they're ready, they're going, which to me, I, it terrifies me. It just absolutely terrifies me. Really? I, and here, here's why. I think Dombrowski has a really um, unnecessary reputation of being a guy who messes up his farm system on on favor of winning. Um, if you go back throughout his history with Detroit and Boston, the guys he traded away have really done nothing. The guys, the the only times he really gave up big time prospects, he got Chris Sale. And won mm-hmm. a World Series, right? And he got prime Miguel Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you give up prospects for those guys, and you don't blink. It's yep. kind of like what the Padres did with Soto. You give up prospects, and you don't blink about it. Mm-hmm. But all of his other deals, he doesn't really. The people that he's moved have never come back to burn him. But he's also the guy in Detroit who brought up Rick Porcello when he was what twenty years old, twenty one. Twenty, yeah, I think you're right there. And Porcello was actually pretty good for a few years. I mean. Did he flame out kind of early? Sure. But didn't he win a Cy Young in there somewhere? He did. Yeah, with um, Boston. So he he the man clearly knows how to evaluate pitching talent when it's there, regardless of age. And if he is if he's saying that they're ready, bring them. Let's go. Um because and I, this has gone around Philly's Twitter a lot. If you're bringing two or let's just be very generous and say you're bringing two of the three, whichever two of the three Mm -hmm. you want to bring right out of spring training or shortly thereafter. Those guys are making major league minimum salaries. Yes. And if they're making major league minimum salaries at two pretty important positions with all the money they have coming off the books, that means money's going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking directly at the position that starts with shortstop because um, there's a few guys there that would look pretty good in Philly's pinstripes. Now that's getting ahead of ourselves, of course. But the thing that I said terrifies me is, boy, I just don't want them to be, you know, stunted when they get here. I would really like them to just be ready. Um, it worries me that it would be a rush to bring them up because they want to spend somewhere else. Um, that would just kind of scare me a little bit unless the team was 100% certain they were ready to go. Um, obviously, you'd have to watch pitching, innings limits, things like that. They w- they're they going to need, what, three, four starters anyway. 
as it is for next year. Yeah, at bare minimum two. So just to get through a season, you need seven. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good. That's the Dodgers. I mean, that's the, the pitching right. factory that is Los Angeles. They need seven to get through a season. So what are the Phillies going to need? Um, if three, two or three of those seven are Mick Abel, Andrew Painter, and or Griff McGarry, is that kind of talent available to go get in the free agent market? I don't think so. Are you going to find anyone as talented as them without paying probably more than they're comfortable? Probably not. Um, but it scares me. I'm, I don't know. Well, see, and here's the thing I'm wondering. Is it, is it a necessary condition, a prerequisite for one or more of those top prospect arms to make the team out of spring training in order for this team to afford a shortstop. I'm thinking the two can be decoupled, but it almost seems as if their fates are intertwined somehow, at least from the way it, it feels today here in mid August before the off season even starts. Yeah. It's kind of strange how they're, they've kind of, ever since painter got put up in Jersey shore, how they've just kind of, they're moving together. You know, they, they did mm. the double header together that everyone was all giddy about with yeah. good reason. Now they moved up to double A together. And that's where one of those things where um, scouting, they were, you know, they say scouting the stat line. Abel's numbers are kind of far below where Painter's numbers are, but the team feels comfortable enough with him moving up. I'm, I trust the team. Um, I'm fine with if they, if they think he's ready, move him forward. You know, there, there's really no reason just hold him back for, for what reason? You know, they're, they're, they're ready. Uh, I feel that way about, strangely enough, McGarry this year. You know, let's let's be optimistic and say that they grab a wild card. Let's be real optimistic and say uh, they win the wild card series. Now you're in a best of five against somebody else. Mm-hmm. You've got Wheeler and Nola, and I think you know where I'm headed with this. You've got Wheeler and Nola in two games. Yeah. Suarez with one. Yep. What about the idea of McGarry two or three innings and then bullpenning the rest of it? Uh, that it's been done before. It's been done yeah. to teams' benefit. It's been done to their detriment. Um, would you want an arm like McGarry starting a playoff game over a Gibson or Syndergaard? That would be the next. That's a huge, huge decision. Oh man, it it really is. And it's a good question because I'm sitting here staring at my ceiling trying to figure out how I want to answer that and where I fall on it. Like that's how you know it's a good question, right? Like <laughs> that's, right, that's what I mean. It's so interesting because yeah. as good as Gibson looked last night, uh-huh. when you get to the divisional round, you're not playing the Reds. No. Um your your fourth starter isn't going more than three or four innings before you're bull- gotten into the bullpen. You know, do you want those three to four innings hoping that Gibson, this is not to say Gibson's a bad pitcher. You know what I mean? He's been very good for what they've needed this year. He's given them innings. He's given them two starts good, one start rough, and then he's right back on that horse. With Cindergard, he's been good, but again, it was the Reds. You know, we'll give the caveat of, the Reds lineup, the Marlins yeah. lineup before that, mm-hmm. you're not going to be facing those lineups. Do you want to go with what they've got or do you want to roll the dice on McGarry being able to get through 12, 13, 14 hitters and then your 
bullpen picking up the rest. Here's one thing that worries me a little bit, just to continue down this path, because I, I kind of like the thought exercise of where this is going. Reputationally, let's talk, let's talk off field. Let's talk about something a little more intangible. Say we find ourselves in the position of watching Griff McGarry, in this case, take the hill at some point in one of these playoff games, whether he's starting, opening, coming in for some bulk innings in the middle. Mm -hmm. Say he's earned enough trust to make the playoff roster. Right. And he actually finds his way into a game. If he bombs, if he falls flat as a, as a brand new rookie who may or may not have an appearance or two with the big league club toward the end of the season, just to get him ramped up. I, I don't know exactly how they'd use him or, or what would lead mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Right. right. He, he would be appearing brand new, basically on the postseason stage. If he falls flat, how hard will it be for him to shake that off? And I'm not talking about personality wise. I'm not talking about within his own head. I'm talking about from our perspective as fans, as people watching it, how long is it going to take for the, I'll say distrust to wear off and for us to get a little bit more comfortable. Are we talking one good start? Does he need to have a couple of good months? What, what do we think here? Are, are we risking too much by thinking he should be put in that position in the playoffs? Is there too much at stake that way? See, I don't think it would, as far as the fan base we're concerned, I don't think the fan base would put any blame on him at all. If no. he were to go into a playoff game and, you know, falter for, for choosing a word, I don't think the fan base would blame him at all. I think the fan base would put the blame squarely on the front office. And mm. on Thompson saying, why are you putting somebody who hasn't seen a major league mound in a playoff game in this kind of high pressure situation? I think, I don't know McGarry. I've never met him. Right. I wouldn't know him if he walked up to me and said, I'm Griff McGarry. Right. <laughs> but if, if we're going to assume that he's got the kind of temperament to handle this, he'd be fine. Uh, mm. You know, he'd have all off season. He did, he did what he was asked to do. You would see the fan, the fan base, really angry at the front office. Why did you do this over this, you know, kind of an explain yourself type situation. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the kid. I don't, the, the front office, you know, once the off season starts, probably you wouldn't hear much about it. Dombrowski has been really good about getting up in front, answering the tough questions, unlike his predecessor, where if you ask him a question, he's going to give you an answer. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I wouldn't worry too, too much about it because if they put him on the mound, they must be desperate. Hmm. Well, desperation, I think, is strangely apt in this case, right? Because we're talking about a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 11 years. Right. We're, we're desperate. I think it's okay to admit that. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. desperate. I wouldn't go to the playoffs, man. I don't I don't really care what form or function, you know, it, it, it takes or needs. Like, I just, I want to see this team in the playoffs. Um I, I do agree with you. I, I think part of me is is hearing what you're saying and agreeing that there's probably going to be more ire directed toward the decision makers than McGarry himself. At least I would hope so. Because justifying baseball decisions and, and roster moves and, and things like that, even if you feel like from the outside you have a good grasp of why something was done or why a certain thing happened, it's very hard, I'm finding, to justify process over results when it comes to baseball. Right. right? Yeah. So like, like, like say, say including McGarry is 
the right move by appearances, right? Say he um, maybe makes a couple appearances at AAA or a cameo late in the season, really flashes some good stuff in short bursts. And you're like, oh, okay, this is probably a better option than, you know, Nick Nelson. Nick Nelson, right? Exactly. And maybe you carry him for for a couple of outs. Situational mm-hmm. guy. Maybe he's the last line to defend, not somebody you go to unless you feel pretty comfortable or are getting blown out, whatever. Um, I just have a hard time thinking about if it goes wrong. All of that process with baseball, it just seems to go out the window with a good chunk of the fan base, right? Like process doesn't really matter as much. The results are, are the be all end all. I, I get that, especially now, you know, we get farther and farther away from the last playoff appearance and mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. Is that something you can recover from? Is it worth trying to, in this case, we're talking purely in hypotheticals, but if this was a thing to happen, is it worth trying to explain that? Or with an off season looming, do you just sort of let everything that's going to happen play out, let that fade into the back of our minds and let the play on the field, you know, determine whether we can forget about that sort of thing quickly. It would be one of those things where if, if it were to happen, you're talking about a game four and either they're, they're trying to clinch or they're trying to survive, you know, one Mm -hmm. of the two. And if it's trying to survive and it goes backwards, now you've just been eliminated. That's going to be a whole off season of questions. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? Mm -hmm. Even if it was explained, you know, we chose to do this, uh, start, what, however the situation was, McGarry, um, over bringing in any number, Bellotti, Nelson, somebody, whoever that may be. Right. You're going to have a whole offseason because they're going to point to that one thing. This is why we, quote unquote, lost the series because it would be the elimination game. Um, if they were up two to one, you still got the next game. And then that's the game that will get focused on. Um, I don't think you would see McGarry in a games one, two, or three. Uh, that would be Nola's game, Wheeler's game, Suarez's game, however they shake that out. Mm-hmm. that's Those three are their games. You would see something, that situation come up in a game four, I think, would be the most likely spot. And like I said, either they're getting beat or they're trying to, they're trying to clinch and move on. If it was a clinch and move on, like I said, you still got game five and you're coming back with one of your two aces. If you've been defeated uh, and you've being sent home, now you've got a whole off season of why did you do this? No explanation would matter. It not, it would not matter. No one would accept it. Um, you'd have a handful of people would understand what was done. You've have a very small handful of people that would applaud the process that was used because they believed that McGarry was the best option. Mm-hmm. but the overwhelming majority would not be happy at all. Well, I'll tell you what, this is, even if it is hypothetical, it's nice to be having these sorts of conversations here in uh, mid to late August, thinking about playoff rotations and configurations, but to bring it back into the present one last time, just focusing back on this Met series with game Friday, the double header on Saturday, and then the series finale on Sunday before the Reds come in for four games. What are you most looking forward to? What are you hoping to see, whether in this Mets series or the Mets series and beyond, um, over these next few games even? 
if we're talking about the Mets series, I would like them to, I would like to see them get to to Degrom somehow, some way. Um, they can. They've shown they can beat Scherzer. Scherzer was really good, and they still beat him. Um, Chris Bassett seems to be like their bugaboo. Something about Chris Bassett that they. I don't know. They struggle. Yeah. Yet. Right. No, I agree. I would really, he reminds me of Marcus Stroman. It's always seems like Marcus yeah. Stroman issues. Yeah. Um, I would really like to see them get to DeGrom some way and whatever you want to call that get to a uh, couple runs here and there, you know, wh- whatever it is. I'm not even saying beat him per- straight out per se. I would just like to see them get to him, make him to work a little bit. What, what did he go four or five innings without having to go into the stretch? Um, it would be nice to put him in the stretch for a little while in a game. I would like to see them split against the Mets and against the was it the Reds and Pirates next. They mm-hmm. have six against them? Seven? Uh, seven. Four against the Reds, three against the Pirates into yeah. next weekend. However that goes, they need to go five and two. Uh, however you want to make shake out the five, they need to go five and two, however that goes. But I would really like to see, excuse me, I would really like to see them at least split the Mets. I think they have a pretty good shot against that because it is home. But if, as long as they play well, show do you belong, show like last weekend, you're on the same playing field as the Mets. You may, you know, the talent level, there's still a gap, but just make sure that the gap is closed a little bit. That I think that's what we can ask for with that. So we're just looking, we're looking for a little bit of showing up. Just not even showing up, showing up and doing well. I mean, I don't want to just punt. Like I said before, I don't want to punt games. But at the same time, understand, play up to the competition. You know, play up to them. Just show them that you're a playoff caliber team, however that happens, whether through wins, whether through keeping games close. Just show that you belong with on the same field as the Mets because they do. They're a good team. They're a good team. We can say it. We're fine with saying it. And they can beat these teams. So just show it. That's all. Nope. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I was, I was trying to verbally capitalize show up, but I realized that that's a little bit difficult to convey through an audio podcast. Uh, no, that's, that's perfect. That's wonderful stuff. And I think that's, I, I think that's a reasonable bar. You, you've set a reasonable bar for the, the coming week and change. And I think, you know, the Phillies just got to keep their head above water. They are in that playoff spot. They're looking good all while missing their best player who should hopefully be back within a couple of weeks. If they're still in playoff position when he arrives, I think they'll be, they'll be in good shape. Obviously you don't want to say anything too loud because we've seen things go wrong before and recently, but something about this team feels a little bit different. They're they're different. I mean, it's a different team and I don't think it's unreasonable to expect them to make the playoffs at this point. Um, There's four teams battling for three spots and I think they're better than two of them. I think they're better. They're better than the Padres. I think they're better than the Brewers, the Braves. uh, I, I, they can hang with the Braves, no problem. The nice thing about this Phillies team is they can hang with any one of the playoff teams that are in contention right now. I don't think there's any reason to expect that they would fall that far down, but they're right there with all of them. Do they need a few breaks against the Dodgers and the Mets? Sure, they do. But so do the other five teams that are behind the Dodgers and the Mets. And the Phillies are right there. They've got a good roster. They've been playing really good defense. 
They've been playing fundamental defense. I know we keep going back to that. I know. <laughs> There's but, that word again. Um, they've got a good top three. They've got a good lineup. They're so far, they're doing what they have to do. I don't think it's unreasonable to unreasonable to expect them to make the playoffs. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, it should be a fun weekend ahead with four against the Mets, no matter what is actually at stake or on the line. Phillies Mets series are, are always entertaining in their own way. So we'll look forward to some interesting baseball in these next four games over the weekend. Once again, Ethan Witte, thegoodfight.com. Thank you so much for hopping on. This is really terrific. I appreciate it, Paul. Anytime, bud. 